Take out your Bibles and turn to the 17th chapter of Luke's Gospel. Remember, you need your Bibles when you come to church. We study your Bible. If you don't have one, see us. We'll we'll get you one. We'd love to have you Uh, join us in that endeavor of studying the Word of God, holy and infallible. The 17th chapter here, and I want to share with you that the ministry is defined by Jesus. It's not defined by the world. And the world has some very strange ideas about what ministry is. And this man that you see here, Royohu Okawa, uh, founded a really nice little religion. And it has a fourfold path to it that's love, wisdom, self-reflection, and progress. And its teachings are actually drawn from Muhammad, Christ, Buddha, and Confucius. Now, when somebody says that to me, I immediately think they're very, very confused because those all, all of those folks don't exactly agree with one another. But ministry has some very funny understandings in our world. And so the, the ministry called Happy Science, and, and I'll remind you of these few that I'm going to share with you this morning because as we look to the Word of God for what ministry looks like, It becomes very easy to see that just because you have a 501c3 tax-exempt corporation granted from the IRS doesn't necessarily mean that you're preaching Christ crucified. Amen? So many of them that we look at them like Discordianism. Uh, Most computer hackers, this is their religion, by the way, uh, they believe that Iris, the religion's deity, is actually the goddess of chaos. And so the world actually exists in chaos, and so chaos is supposed to be the normal state. And in fact, they believe that every one of you uh, is a a pope. You can go online, by the way, that little ID card, you can print that for yourself and put your name in there. Because you are considered to be an official pope. give you another one. Maybe you've heard of the Temple of True Inner Light. Very interesting group of people. Their offices are in Manhattan. Uh, in New York, you might expect that from Manhattan for some reason. I don't know. There's a few folks there that are a little little off, you might say. But they believe that all psychedelics, so uh, D- DWP, uh, marijuana, LSD, peyote, psilocybin mushrooms, uh, are actually the true flesh of God. And so in order for you to come in contact with God, uh, you need to do hallucinogenic drugs. Now, why am I sharing these things with you? Because there are people that believe this stuff. And that is exactly what you are fighting against when you go into the world and say, Hey, I'd like to share with you about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the true light of the world. There's a, there's a group called uh, Realism, and it's actually Ra'al or Ra'alism because it's made up of two gods, Ra, the Egyptian sun god, and El, the Hebrew god, the Almighty One, but it's a French guy that founded this one, uh, and he believes he was taken up by aliens to the planet Elohim. Interestingly, that's the same planet that, that, most, that uh, Mormons believe that Elohim lives on, so he, he's out there with them. And that there he communes with Jesus and Confucius and Buddha and Joseph Smith and a few others. 
And interestingly enough, they actually have a lab there, and they created humans about 25,000 years ago, and they're coming back in 2025. So if if you're looking for another way to go, that might be it for you. The Church of All Worlds, founded by Oberon and Morning Glory Zell Ravenheart. Now, anytime you have a name that long, you know they're from the 60s, okay? Just that's, that's the way that works, generally speaking. Uh, but if for those of you who read the book uh, by Robert Heinlein, that The Stranger in a Strange Land, they actually turned that into a religion. And so they believe in fairies and magic. And they just recently founded the uh, Gray School of Wizardly, Wizardry, inspired by Hogwarts School of Witchcraft, uh, from the Harry Potter series. So they have their own little religion. And their way is that you just consult fairies and they come to your house and they do things for you. And my personal favorite, you got it, Jediism. <laughs> That's their symbol. That's the uh, temple of the Jedi Force. And these people literally believe that uh, the Force is real and that Jedis are real. And, and they're not, they're supposed to be really nice, but. In fact, two of them, two of the leaders actually got involved in an altercation outside of their house because a dude came dressed as Darth Vader and they actually got into a fight. (laughs) And oh, by the way, they actually do weddings. You can do Jedi weddings. It's just really interesting. You see, the world has some very strange ideas about what ministry is. And we we laugh, we snicker a little bit, but there are genuinely uh, people on this earth that believe that's how you come to know the higher being. You join one of those groups, do a few shrooms. You're going to meet somebody, probably an officer of the law. But <laughs> And, of course, we have those pseudo-Christian cults. And, again, I don't want to belabor this, but it's helpful to understand what it is when you share Christ with people. This is your competition. Of course, the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints, you know them as Mormons. Absolutely a false gospel, absolutely a false Christ. Uh, If you don't understand that, and a couple of their little things that they do is like if you don't know, uh, if you're not a member of the Mormon Church, that after you die they can pray for you and then have somebody baptized for you as a dead person and you can then come into a right relationship uh, with Elohim. There are a lot of Christians that believe they're Christians. Watchtower, Bible and Tract Society, that you know them as Jehovah's Witnesses. They will tell you they are Christians, but they do not believe in the Trinity. They do not believe that Jesus Christ is anything other than a man. He's not God. Church of Scientology. There are people that believe that Scientologists are Christians, that L. Ron Hubbard, uh, when, when he met, you know, Xenon or whoever it was that he met, and, you know, his soul got frozen and thrown into a volcano, that he went off to heaven somewhere. There are people that believe that Scientologists are Christians because they wrap it, they veil it in some Christian sayings and phrases. The Church of the Twelve Tribes, unique group founded by Albert Eugene Spriggs. They claim that the only way of salvation is by giving all of your possessions away. Oddly enough, to them, 
And then you give over all your personal decision-making to a group, and they tell you what you need to believe. Holy Spirit Association for the Unification of World Christianity. Let me give you a little secret. The longer the name, the less Holy Spirit there is, actually. Strange, you, you know them as the Unification Church, and it sounds really good. Oh, yeah, we should all be unified, right? And you throw Christian in there, so it sounds good. That was founded by Sung Young Moon. Highly authoritative, destructive. Moon now is the only mediator between God and man. That's what he believes. That's what he teaches. And yet people, oh, it's the Unification Church. You know, it's all, they're Christians, of course. They just unify everybody. Churches of Christ. Now, there are some of the Churches of Christ that have to be the Boston movement. They take complete control of your entire life. Tell you what you're going to think. Tell you what you're going to believe. The family, the children of God. That sounds like a good name for a group of Christians, right? The family, the children of God. If you've been around in the 60s and 70s, every church, oh, we're the family. Well, they kind of carried over. The only problem is one of their basic tenets of their particular group is nobody's actually married. You just sleep with whoever you happen to be around. Well, that's really Christian. It's Christ-like. I love this last group, the Christian Identity Movement. You know who's actually in? That's a group of pseudo-Christian groups. It's the Ku Klux Klan. It's the Aryan Nation. It's the Christian Identity Church itself. And what they really teach is anything but Christian. Matter of fact, they believe the only people who can be in the body of Christ is white people. If that's true, i got a problem with God. Of course, it's not true. You see, people have a very strange understanding. This is what you are fighting against in this world. Very often we forget that when we go out. There are people who literally believe these things when you share Jesus with them. And so that is what you are fighting. Verse 1 here in Luke 17. And then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe unto him through and through who them uh, they do come. For it would be better if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea that he should offend one of these little ones. And so the first thing we see here is a very special relationship that we have in ministry as ministers and as people who belong to the greater body of Christ. Ministry is a serious business. And ministry is defined by the Lord Jesus. It's not defined by a bunch of people who decide what they think they should believe and what uh, they believe ministry should look like. And in fact, the Lord is extremely serious, so much so that he first includes a group that might possibly sway a little one. Or it literally means child here, but it also has a second focal point, and that's those who are searching, those who are looking, people who are actually looking for the gospel truth, and someone pushes them away from the truth of the gospel. I don't know exactly what awaits Joseph Smith, but it's not good. I do not know what awaits Sung Young Moon, but it's not good. I have no idea how God's going to deal with Charles Taze Russell, who founded the Jehovah's Witnesses, but it's not good. 
Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And not one person will ever come to Christ by anybody but him. You, 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 can't, you can't get saved some other way. There isn't an alternative to biblical Christianity. There isn't one. Very narrow is the way that leads into life and godliness. So Jesus is now going to empower his disciples. And he gives them just a handful of things in this passage before us this morning. You see, without Jesus, you're without truth. And you're without life. And so he expresses to them, look, if you want to do ministry, you've got to do it my way. There isn't another way to do ministry. And oh, by the way, you better not mess with people who are looking for me. Odd things, liars lie. Amen? <laughs> My Bible says all men are liars. So without Christ, you're kind of stuck in a, in a pretty bad way. So it does not shock me that these groups exist. It doesn't shock me at all. Matter of fact, I see it as part of Satan's plan. We can make something look like it may have an end road that leads somewhere to, close to heaven. Why, why not put that out there? You see, the Lord was about to come to a, a very astonishing time of spiritual attack as he heads to Jerusalem. So he's empowering the disciples to say, look, you better have your head screwed on straight with this ministry thing. Very special relationship, and that is through me to God. You don't have that nailed down, you don't have the right Savior. You're, you're missing God's plan. You see, ministry according to Jesus is, is not this fluffy, all roads lead to heaven kind of deal. It's not the first church of liberal believe this and liberal believe that. It's not the milk toast, can't we all get along, coexist kind of environment. It is horrifically exclusive from a lost person's perspective because there's only one road that leads to heaven. So when somebody says, well, you know, Buddha and Muhammad and you know, Raal and all, you know, they're all just kind of manifestations of the same. No, they're not. Those other religions are roads that doom men's souls. If you have a friend who's a Buddhist without Jesus, they're lost. If you have a friend who is a Muslim without Jesus, they're lost. If you have a friend who's Mormon and believes they're going to have their own planet and that Jesus had a brother and his name was Satan, they're lost. Do you follow what I'm saying? You need to follow this, folks. Because the net result, if we don't understand this passage of Scripture, is that you start letting people slide with things like, well, I'm kind of a pseudo-Christo-Buddhist. You know, I really, you know, I like all these other things, and I mean, I like being nice, and I like being kind to animals. You know, we should be kind to animals, except for the ones that we eat. 
I said that for a shock value, and here's why I said it. Your Bible says, after the flood, that we were to rise, kill, and eat. There's a necessity for that. And so you have people, well, you know, we shouldn't kill bugs, and we shouldn't, we should use all, you know, when I have ants, I don't go ask them if they will get out of my house. (laughs) Get out the raid and... Because there are some pestilences on this earth that I don't think God intended for us to deal with the way we're dealing with, because we're in a lost and a fallen world. And I'm not trying to be mocking here. I'm telling you, you have friends that believe these things. And they're wandering around going, well, you know, I just think this road leads to heaven, and that road leads to heaven. And and in fact, all roads ultimately lead to heaven. And Jesus is saying, no, so, so narrow is the way that when you mess with people who don't know me already, especially children, you're in danger of having a millstone tied around your neck and tossed into the sea. Now, if you've ever seen a millstone, Connie and I have seen a few of them in Israel, um, they're generally between 2 and about 11 tons. And so given your weight and buoyancy, I'm pretty sure that means you're going straight to the bottom. You're going down. What the Lord's saying, don't mess with the gospel. And especially don't mess with people who are seeking. And really especially don't mess with children, with kids. False religion preys on people who are seeking. False religion preys on those who are looking. False religion preys on children. And I will tell you, you know, people sometimes will say to me, well, I think you're a little hard on people who are, you know, pedophiles. God's hard on people who are pedophiles. And I would be doing a, a disservice to not echo his sentiment on the issue. There's a special place that's awaiting those who harm children. God said so. Jesus said so. It's not a good thing. And again, I'm not trying to bash the Catholic Church. But when you have to pay off $16 billion in damages because of children who have been molested, there's something fundamentally wrong with your religion. Something fundamentally wrong that would bring that to a place to where there's an environment that would even allow it for the church to protect them and protect it. I think God's got a huge problem with it. A second thing that we see here, special relationships. You don't need a theological degree. You need to know Jesus. And so he begins to speak to them. He said, look, protect the little ones. Don't let children be harmed in your presence. We take very seriously our kids here, by the way. It's the reason you've got to fill out an application to be in children's ministry here. You have to submit, if necessary, to fingerprinting and all those kind of things. We take that call very, very, very seriously. It's not that we don't love you. It's not even that we don't trust you. It's just that if you're really who you say you are, you're going to have no problem filling out an application. We can just say, look, here it is. We aren't letting anybody get near your kids unless we know who they are. Look at the resources we have. Pick up in verse 3. 
You see, because the life of ministry draws on these things, and you've already heard one side of this recently, so I'll not belabor it, and that's, of course, the issue of forgiveness. Take heed to yourself. For if your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Is, Is that said in any way that it's hard to believe, hard to understand? It's hard to do, but it's not hard to get what Jesus is getting at here. Amen? If your brother, somebody who knows the Lord, it sins against you, does something that you don't like, it doesn't say there will leave the church and, and put a bunch of gossip out there about how the pastor you know, allowed this thing to happen in, in his church. It doesn't say slam the ministry. It says if your brother sins, forgive him. How many things could we solve in the church if we simply did exactly what Jesus is saying here? This is a resource that we should have in great measure in our lives. Forgiveness. I'm not going to ask you, but if I ask you to put up your hand, if you're perfect and have never done anything wrong against anybody, raise your hand. There better not be any hands that go up. Okay? Or I'm going to have to, you just did it. You just lied through your teeth. There's not a perfect one among us, amen? I, I, I'm not. Maybe you are. I'm not. I'm not perfect. I, I mess up every once in a while. It's not intentional, and I sure do it a lot less than I used to. But I still mess up. I step on toes that I don't intend to step on. I hurt feelings when that's the last thing in the world I want to do. I say things that sometimes are either twisted or tweaked by the enemy and that filter that, you know, I, maybe I didn't say it the way I should have said it. I do those things. And I, and I would pray that when those things happen, there's forgiveness in great measure, and here's why. It's exactly what Christ did on Calvary's cross. Amen? So if you don't need it, I guess you can be unforgiving. If you haven't received it, I guess you can simply not be forgiving. But I don't think there's anybody in here who qualifies in that club. I sure don't. I need his forgiveness. And so I'm supposed to have it in abundance. And if he sins against you seven times, verse 4 says, in a day. Seven times in a day returns to you, saying, I repent. You shall forgive him. Notice it doesn't say if he comes and slaps you in the face, you need to mandatorily forgive. It's based on someone changing their attitude and their actions. Amen? That's where real forgiveness comes from. It's the same thing with God. You can't ask God to forgive you for something that you're currently doing. That's, that's kind of how Catholics view things. I'll go in, I'll, you know, I'll go into my confession, I'll just say a few things, I'll get it squared away with God temporarily, and I'll go right back to doing what I was doing before, and then I can go back again. That's, you're not getting real forgiveness that way. It doesn't work that way. You gotta say, I'm sorry, not because I got caught, because I want to change my attitude. Forgive him. That's a lot of times. Give you a little secret here. If you're a parent and you're here this morning, you apply this in your house, you will transform your home. You'll transform your home. Both with your relationship with your spouse and with your children. Doesn't mean you don't have, you know, your little things that you need to do. Doesn't mean you don't have rules. You don't have little regulations in your house. But it means when they mess up, 
if they're repentant, you forgive them. Not, well, you know, after a year, you can have your cell phone back. If you're one of those parents that, that pulls out harsh punishment for everything, you might want to read your Bible. Because it's really unnecessary. What's necessary is they understand the love of God. It is by his loving kindness that he has saved us. Amen? Not because he's the ruler of the universe. We're supposed to model that in our human relationships. Incredible spiritual resource. Notice how he says to get more of this same resource. And this is in light of what he's just said in verse 5. And so the Lord said, if you have faith of a mustard seed, you can say to a mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. I can tell you that's pretty much an impossibility, amen? I don't know how many of you have tried to pull up a tree and then go throw it in the ocean and see if it grows. It doesn't happen very often. And so what he's really saying is, is look, you need some extra faith to pull these things off. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, the book of Hebrews says. You just can't do it. You can't be talked into being saved. You have to believe by faith. It's not for information. It's not a bunch of stuff that you somehow learn. You don't go to catechism and get saved. You don't get baptized and get saved. You come into a real relationship with the true and the living God, and you grow in faith. Those things are understood by faith. There's a lot of things I can't explain in this life. Miracles happen every day. I have to believe my faith. Yes, my faith is reasonable, of course. And God doesn't do everything willy-nilly, and we just sit there, well, you need to believe me because I said so. Isn't like that either. Your faith is quite reasonable. Your faith is very scientific as well. But you still need faith. You see, we need to employ both grace and truth, forgiveness and faith in order to really be ministering the way God wants us to. You see... If we don't draw on spiritual resources, and this is the picture, forgiveness is impossible. Amen? Forgiveness is impossible without spiritual resources. Matter of fact, people don't forgive, and I can prove that to you. Look at the caseload of psychologists and psychiatrists and find out how many of those psychologists and psychiatrists are dealing with issues of unforgiveness. You're going to find out it's almost 100%. You see, if you just attack it as a mental issue, if you just attack it as something physical, if you attack it as something that you need to bang on a drum or snap a rubber band on your wrist or or come to some coping skills so you can get through some idea that happened in your life, you're going to find out you will never be healed of unforgiveness. You'll walk around with it for the rest of your days. Caseloads of psychologists and psychiatrists are filled with people who believe that. Well, you know, if I just go to my counseling session enough times, I'll somehow be able to deal with it. You want to be set free? Be like Jesus. That simple. More faith, not more stuff. More faith. And that's why he says, if you just had a little more faith. And I want you to notice what he's saying here. There's a kind of little subtlety here in the original language. It's not more as in large. It's more as in living faith. Faith that works. Faith like James talked about. Real faith works. 
I'll show you my faith by my works. You see, I just believe that God's at work in my life. And I believe that by faith. And so the things that I do represent that faith at work. It's a resource for every occasion. And then finally this morning as we wrap this up, it's got some special responsibilities for us. And which of you, having a servant, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he's come into the field, come at once and sit down and eat? You see, he's going back to a, a model here that was prevalent at that time, and we can understand it. We know what it is. The servant and the master actually didn't normally sit at the same dinner table. As a matter of fact, when the servant was done in the field, he came and still did what the master asked of him. So the servant would prepare the master's dinner, the master would eat, and then the servant would eat. And so to help us understand that, what he's really saying is, is, look, we're God's kids. We're his servants. Amen? I am a servant of the Lord Most High. And so I'm supposed to be doing what God wants. And just because I do that doesn't mean I'm owed some special accolade. I don't need to all of a sudden be going, well, I sure hope God recognizes all of this. I have so many people come to me and they, you know, they'll say something like, well, I just never get recognized for the things that I do. There's only one person you need to please. And it ain't me. You need to be pleasing to the Lord Jesus. That's why Paul in the book of Romans in chapter 12 said it so eloquently. He said, and you live as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is simply your reasonable service. It makes sense, given who you are in Christ and what you received from him, why wouldn't you serve him? Verse 6 goes on to give us a little more insight. But he will say, not rather to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and come serve me till I've eaten and drunk, and afterwards you will eat or drink. Family of God, your reward awaits you in heaven. You may not get it on this earth. Now, some of us, like our fishing trip yesterday, we got a little heaven on earth yesterday in the form of tuna, large tuna. Yeah, we, we, we get things that are wonderful in life, but this world is not the end-all, cure-all. It's not the answer. It isn't your reward. Your reward awaits you in heaven. And while you're here, you're going to serve. And we want to serve. Does he thank the servant because of the things that he did that were commanded him? I think not. When you do what you're supposed to do, don't expect God to, you know, throw up a plaque out in the foyer with your name on it. I vacuumed the carpet last week. Serve God because he's worthy. Amen. Because he loves you with an undying love. Because he's blessed you with all these graces. Because he's given you so much richly in Christ Jesus. That's reason enough to serve him. If we ever get known, you know, sometimes as human beings, and I'm not trying to be critical at all here, because I, I struggle with those things. I like when people notice that I do good things. Of course, we all do. But please don't do them for that reason. Because no matter who sees the things that you do on this in this life, Know this, God sees it. Every last thing. And he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You can count on it. Whatever heaven is, whatever awaits us, I guarantee it's going to be more than you deserve. Guarantee. 
Guarantee it. Because your Bible says so. Your mind can't even think of the glories that are awaiting us. That's what your Bible says. You can't even know. It's so beyond who we are and what we think and how we relate to our world and to people, you cannot know what heaven's going to be like. It's too glorious. for If you knew, you'd probably go kill yourself just to get there. It'd be so glorious and wonderful if we knew, but we don't. Matter of fact, the very possession of such power can go to our heads. That's why people in ministry sometimes get messed up. All of a sudden, they're doing it for the glory and for the praise of mankind. That's not how it works, family. Our duties aren't ever done on this earth while we're still here. Amen? We get to keep working until the Lord comes and gets us. It's part of the wonderful plan that he has for us. It gives us something to do that matters. Amen? I don't know about you, but I'm not overly thrilled about it. We, it seems like every year we get, you know, tax time gets moved closer and property taxes and all those kind of things. And by the time you get to Christmas, you're supposed to be enjoying the birth of the Savior. And it's like, well, I hope I can pay my taxes. If you're looking forward to this life, there's, there's something seriously wrong with you. There's good things in this life, but there's some stuff in this life that well, I can do without that. Praise God that the glory of heaven awaits. It's not to become useless while we're here, by the way. We're supposed to be very useful while we're here. But useful to him. And so ministry, according to Jesus, is not some goofball that makes up his own religion. It's not some science fiction writer that comes up with some you know, new way to bend your mind. It's an absolute understanding that God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen? That's ministry according to Jesus. It's a special relationship through the one. Special resources by faith. Special responsibilities to serve him until he comes. And I pray that we do that well. Would you pray? Father, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together to praise you, to bless you. Pray that you would be blessed by the intents of our heart, by our service. We love you. Thank you for your word that is ministered to us. Help us to minister as true ministers of the real gospel this week. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus our only Lord, our only Savior, and the King who's going to come for us one day. Amen.